Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. If you're here for the first time, we we uh, usually take a, uh, the Bible, the books of the Bible and go through them verse by verse, passage by passage. It's called expository teaching or expository preaching. That way we look at it in its context. We see how it fits together. We can make application and we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke for a good while now. Of course, we're in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a long chapter and, and chapter 12 as well. And there. There's some hard things in there, and we're going to see that this morning. We're seeing that Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior, the Christ, and the King. Jesus has made a change. He's been living in the northern part of Israel. He is now on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going there so he can die on the cross to pay for our sins. He has come to fulfill his plan. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. He did not come to judge the world, but the world through him might be saved. He will go and die on the cross Rise again, pay for sin, and conquer death. As we think about the ministry of Christ, and of course in the Gospel of Luke, we've been seeing what's, what's about three, three and a half years of ministry. He's been in the northern part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, and he's been showing that he's the Messiah, doing certain signs and certain things. Now he's going to Jerusalem. And the closer he gets to Jerusalem, it seems like the opposition from these religious leaders gets worse and worse and worse. They do not believe in Jesus. They, they do not want him to be the Messiah, the King. And so they reject him. And they're trying to get more and more people to reject him. And what we see as a whole, the nation of Israel has rejected him. As, as a nation, they're going to reject him. He has offered himself as their King and Messiah and Savior. And we'll even see this morning. He calls the generation that's there a wicked generation. We'll see how it fits together. This morning, several things. We're going to see demons and rejection and signs. We're even going to see the sign of Jonah, and we'll see even judgment. We want to gain from this passage as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. As we begin, there was a recent survey that was done. They asked two questions. Question number one, do you believe in God? Number two, do you believe in the devil? 98% of the people in the United States said they believe that there is a God. 63% said they believe there's a devil. It's amazing the fact that you can believe in the Creator God, the all-powerful God, the ruler of the universe, and then reject that there is a devil or a fallen angel. As we look at God's Word, we find that the Bible is very clear that God has always existed as the supreme being, one God in three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And there is a devil, a fallen angel, a spirit being created by God, but in pride rebelled against God and was removed from his position. If you believe the Word of God, you believe there is a devil. This morning, as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches about the devil and, and, and fallen angels and possession and all those kind of things. It's a very powerful part. Religious leaders have charged him. They've said that Jesus is actually from the devil. He did some miracles, and they couldn't deny the miracles. And so instead of denying the miracles, they say, well, he's really not from God. He's from the devil. That's where he gets the power to do those miracles. How does Jesus answer that? We'll see it as we look this morning. We think about Jesus and the devil and demons and God's judgment and rejection and all of those things as we go through. Well, let's begin Let me remind you of where we are in the flow of the passage. If you go back to chapter 11 at the very beginning, Jesus was praying. And when he finished praying, one of his disciples came up representing the other disciples and said, teach us to pray. They saw him praying. And when he did that, he taught them how to pray. And we saw some great truths on prayer and also that God answers prayer. Then last time we saw an amazing thing. Jesus cast this demon out of this person. Now, there was a person who was controlled by a demon, by a, by a fallen uh, spirit, uh, and, and God, Jesus cast that out, and the crowd was amazed. 
But the religious leaders who were there, they didn't like that at all. They reject Jesus. And so they begin to claim that the power that Jesus used to throw out that demon was actually from the devil. And so we're going to see how Jesus is answering that charge. Let me give you the passage this morning. We'll break it down for you. First of all, the first part is rejecting the power of Jesus. He cast out the demon as verse 14. The charge, Jesus from the devil, verses 15 and 16. We see how Christ answers and we see Christ's power. Then the second little part there is demon possession. He tells a story about a person being possessed. And we want to see that and it's really pretty hard. We'll see it. Then the charge to hear and obey the word. That's a key thing, verses 27 and 28. And then the last thing is Jesus talks about he's the sign to Israel and he talks about Jonah and he gives the sign of Jonah and we'll talk about that and then he talks about Jonah and the queen and we'll see what all that is as we get to it let's begin with just a brief review Jesus cast this demon out of this person look at verse 14 and he was casting out a demon and it was mute when the demon had gone out the mute man spoke and the crowds were Amazed. Now what happened is this man obviously was controlled by this demon and he couldn't speak. Jesus cast the demon out. Then the man could talk and the crowds were amazed. In fact, the word for amazed there means they were marveling. They were just going, wow, that's, that's amazing. But... Verse 15 says, but some of them said. Now, you can't tell from the Gospel of Luke, but from the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us that they were religious leaders who said this. They were the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that you had to keep the law and do all this, and maybe you could be right with God. They were very legalistic. They did not believe in Jesus. And so it says, some of them said, some of the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. It was a nickname that Jewish people had for the devil. That was sort of a slander. If you wanted to say something bad about the devil, you could say, oh, Beelzebub. That's the same as the devil. So they said, Jesus is casting out demons by the devil, who is the ruler of the demons. Others were saying to test him, to try to trick him. They said, we want a sign from heaven from you. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus has already done all the signs. Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 said that when the Messiah would come, he would, the lame would walk, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, those who are dead would be raised, for there would be forgiveness of sins, and the good news message would be preached. He's done all of those signs. What they should have done is immediately believed in him. When they saw it, they, they, they should have said, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one we've waited for. They've rejected that. In fact, they're asking for another sign. And we're going to find out this morning that he gives them another sign. And we'll see what it is. We call it the sign of Jonah. Now, they said that Jesus was casting out demons from the power of the devil. How does he answer that? Well, what we saw last week was he said, I'm not from Satan. If I was from Satan, Satan would be divided. Satan doesn't cast out himself. Second, he says, I'm not from Satan because if I was, how do your exorcists cast out demons? See, some of the Pharisees, they had people who were casting out demons. Jesus said, if I'm from the devil, then who are your people doing it by? That takes us to the third one, which we're going to see this morning. Jesus is going to say, I'm casting out these demons because I'm stronger than the devil. I'm stronger than Satan. That's what we'll see. Now, we ended last week with verse 20, and he made a great point. Look what he says. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying that if what I'm doing is from God, and it is, in the Greek that's a first class if that literally says, if, and it's true, I cast out demons by the finger of God, by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying, I'm the king and I'm here. See, Jesus offered himself as the king and they rejected him. He says, if I'm doing this by God's power, you must recognize I'm the king and I'm here. And they didn't. 
But that's what he says. From this, he's going to use a little story. He's going to use uh, kind of a parable or analogy to show that Jesus is stronger than the devil. And he's going to use what we call a strong man and a stronger man. The strong man's going to be the devil, and the stronger man's going to be Jesus. And he uses this little story to show that. Now, I want you to understand something, that Jesus is God, and the devil is an angel. There's a big difference. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Look what he says, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. The strong man's the devil. He's saying when the devil is in control doing his own thing, then he's got his own power and he does it. You realize this. Now, let's think about this. Who is the devil? The, the name devil as the idea of adversary, the name Satan means the evil one. John 6:44 calls him a liar. He is a fallen angel created by God. He was placed in a position of responsibility, but he rebelled against God. Pride. God removed him out. Not only did he remove him, but he removed him and some other, and, and some other uh, angels fell with him. We call those demons. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 give the passages in the Old Testament where the devil fell. He seeks to affect people. The demonic forces in this world seek to affect people. We'll talk more about it in just a minute. What's going to be the end of the devil? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew that the end of the devil and his angels is they will be cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is what we call hell. Now, the Bible doesn't use the term hell for what we call hell. It calls it the lake of fire or the place of burning. The devil and his angels ultimately will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, something you've got to understand that some people never grasp. They maybe never heard this. Jesus Christ came into this world to pay for the sins of mankind and to save people. He did not come into this world to save angels. Jesus Christ became a person so he could die for people and pay for the sins of mankind and save people. He did not become an angel to pay for the fallen angel's sins. There is no provision for the fallen angel's sins. That's why in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Even the demons believe and tremble. They believe that Jesus Christ is God and they tremble because he is their judge. Sometimes in the Bible you'll see Jesus come up and a demon is controlling somebody and the demon will say, Oh, Son of God, have you come to judge us before our time? I want you to understand that Satan and the fallen angels, there is no provision for their salvation. God made provisions for us, for mankind. He became a person. He made no provision for the, for the demons, the fallen angels. So when he says here, he's using this analogy, he says, when this strong man fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. You realize that God has allowed Satan to be what's known as the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. Satan controls the fallen world system only because God allows him to do that. Sometimes people are confused and they say, here's God and here's the devil and boy is it a tight fight. It is not a tight fight. It is not a toss-up. God is all-powerful and the devil is a created angel by God. And when time comes, God will speak and it will be over. It is not a battle in that sense. Now, he says, when a strong, he's using this analogy, when a strong man, devil, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. He's okay. Yeah, he's got it. But watch. 
But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and distributes his plunder. The one stronger is Jesus. See, they said Jesus was doing this from the power of the devil. Jesus said, no, no, I'm not doing it from the power of the devil. I'm stronger than the devil. I'm God. That's why I can cast out these demons, because I am stronger. When you got a strong guy, that's fine. But when the stronger one comes in, the stronger one takes over. Now, you realize Satan is that created angel. And Jesus is showing his power as the king of kings. So he's answered by saying, the devil would be divided if I was from the devil. How do your sons cast them out? That's one of his points. But Jesus is the power over Satan. I want you to understand something. Look at this. There is no in-between. You either trust Christ as Savior or you reject him. There is no in-between. Sometimes people say, well, I I haven't decided yet. I'm sort of like in the middle. There is no middle. He that believes not is what? Condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you're headed to eternal separation. And unless a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they will be eternally separated from God. There is no in-between. There is no limbo. It's either faith in Christ or rejection. This is what he's going to say. Watch, verse 23. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He's saying there is no in-between. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And he's talking about to this religious people, and they all claim that he's from the devil and everything else. He says, no, no, you've got to understand. You either believe me and you're with me, or you reject me and you're separated from me. There is no in-between. Now, from this, he's going to deal with something that's hard. And there's going to be some things in this verse that we don't know the answers to. Because there's some things in the Bible that he doesn't give us the answers to. And he's going to talk about a man being, a person being possessed by a demon. And as we get ready to get into this, I want, I want to talk about it for a second because it's verses 24, 25, and 26. Now, before we get into that, let's think about it. Some people deny that, you know, I said that 63% of the people said there wasn't any such thing as the devil or demons. But the Bible is very clear. There are spirit beings that are opposed to God and man. They were created by God, and when Satan or Lucifer fell, a a group of angels, in fact, uh, uh, the book of Revelation talks about a third of the stars, that's how it says it, so most Bible scholars believe a third of the angels fell with Satan, and that's who the demons are, that's what a lot of people believe. The demons' plan, Satan's plan for the unbeliever is that they will never trust Christ as Savior. That's the plan. Satan does not care if you're religious. In fact, he would rather a person be religious. Remember, he has a false religious system. His his workers come as angels of light. He has a false gospel. He would rather a person be in church every Sunday and do good works as long as they never trust Christ. See, if a person thinks that they're going to heaven because they go to church and they do good things and they got baptized, if they think they're they're going to heaven, Satan's fine with that. That's what he wants them to think. See, he does not want people to understand that the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ and in Him alone simply by faith. So that's his plan. For the unbeliever, he never wants them to trust Christ. He, the, the demons actually can have influence over people. They can possess unbelievers. The best that we can tell, they cannot possess a believer. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you trust Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Best we can tell, a demon cannot come live inside you as a believer. But a demon can possess unbelieving people. 
Now, at the time of Christ, it was a great, seemed like a great movement and, and a lot of demonic activity then. In our country, we don't see, at least best we can tell, we don't see as much demonic activity. It may be that America's so materialistic, Satan doesn't worry about that end of it. We don't know. But he's going to give this illustration. Now look at it. It's really a hard one. He said this. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now he says unclean spirit. That's a demon. And the demon was inside of a person. It says when the unclean spirit goes out of the man. Now in this story, Jesus doesn't tell us why the demon left the person. They don't know why. But notice something else there. It says it was passing through waterless places seeking rest. Waterless places? There have been, throughout history, Bible scholars look at this and say, you know, it appears that demons don't like water. What does that mean and why? We don't know. There is something that you may not realize in the book of Revelation. During the tribulation time period, there are angels... Demons that are kept in a prison underneath the Tigris-Euphrates River. That's water. It could be that's why he has them there. We don't know. All this parable or all this little story that Jesus says is this unclean spirit goes out of a person, looks for waterless places to find rest, which we don't exactly know what that means, not finding any, he says, I'm going to go back to my house to where I came. I'm going to go back to that person. Notice what happened. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Now, that looks good at first. But all that means is, when that demon left that person, that person didn't trust Christ as Savior. He just cleaned up his life. He just says, I'm going to try to live a better life. And look what happens. Because swept in order doesn't mean I believed in Jesus and I have eternal life. It means I just tried to get my act together. See, I want you to understand, the goal in life is not to get your act together. The goal in life is not to clean up your life. The goal in life is to trust in Jesus Christ so that you will have eternal life. This person in this story that Jesus says, the unclean spirit goes out, the guy cleans up his life, and look what happens. Then it goes, this is the spirit, the evil spirit comes back, and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in, and they live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. All Jesus is saying is, when this guy just cleaned up his life, that didn't help him a bit. And when the demon came back, he came back with seven other demons even worse. So the bottom line, the goal is not to clean up your life. The goal is believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And then as a saved person with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you can grow in the grace and knowledge of your Savior. There are a lot of people who say, well, the most important thing is I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to live a good life. No, and in this passage, this person who the, the demon left and then comes back because the person just cleans up his life, he doesn't have Christ in his life, the demon comes back inside. Powerful. The point that we see here is that Jesus is talking to both this individuals and nation is the key is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one they must have. Now, as he's speaking, there's going to be a twofold response. There are going to be some people who actually believe what Jesus is saying, and then as a whole, the nation as a whole is going to reject him. Let's see this one. Watch this, because right when he's speaking, this woman shouts out. Look what it says, verse 27. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. She's saying, blessed is your mama, because you are the Messiah. Blessed is the one that brought you into this world and let you grow up because you're our Savior and you're our King and you're our Messiah. That's what she's saying. 
So she's saying, blessed is your mama. Right? But Jesus is not going to say that. Watch what he's going to say. Well, it says, he said, on the contrary, blessed, you want to talk about being blessed? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. See, he says, on the contrary, that's good, but here's what's really better. Blessed is the one who hear the word of God and observe it. The word observe it has the idea of, of responding to it. He says, the real blessed ones are when they hear the Scripture, the Word of God, they respond to that. I want you to think about this, that for the unbeliever, it's blessing when they hear the Word of God and respond to it, they hear it and believe. See, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is great blessing that when a person who does not know Christ hears the truth about Jesus Christ from the Word of God and responds to it in faith. That's blessing. There's also blessing to the believer that when we hear the Word of God and we respond to it, that's following the Word, living according to the Scripture. So Jesus makes this general statement, the real blessing of those who hear the Word and respond. Whether you're an unbeliever and you hear the Word and you respond and trust Jesus, or you're a believer and you hear the Word and you live by it. That's the key. It's very powerful. Here's my question. Where are you? Maybe this is the first time you ever really heard the word about Jesus. I'm not talking about just hearing who Jesus is, but I'm talking about understanding that Jesus came to the earth and he died on the cross and he paid for your sins and he was buried and he rose again and he conquered death and he offers as a gift to you eternal life. See, salvation is not what you do. Salvation is not you going to church being good or anything. Salvation is a gift offered to you by faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you should hear the Word of God and respond today by trusting in Christ for eternal life. It's that simple. For most of us in this room, I hope and pray that we're believers, we've trusted in Christ, we hear the Word of God, and we respond to it by saying, I'm going to live my life based on the Scripture. Wow. Well, from this, that was the lady that now he's going to turn to the crowd. And the crowd as a whole is rejecting him. And, and he's going to warn them. And I want you to see what he says. Look at verse 29. And the crowds were increasing. Excuse me. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Now, I want you to understand that, that after that lady said that, suddenly the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then Jesus, by the way, he earns no popularity contest. He looks at the crowd and says this. You are a wicked generation. He didn't make any friends, right? I mean, that's what, you know, that's what he did. He looked at them. Notice what it says. And the crowds were increasing. He began to say, and the way it's written in Greek, he said this more than once. You, this generation, is a wicked generation. And you can see him going, who does he think he is? What do you mean wicked? We're not wicked. We're not wicked. And then he said, it seeks for a sign. Now, what were the signs? The lame would walk, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the dead are raised, there's forgiveness of sins, and the good news message is proclaimed. He's fulfilled all those signs. They want another sign. It seeks for a sign, and he says, and yet no sign will be given to them but one more sign, the sign of Jonah. Now, you know who Jonah was. The sign of Jonah is... As you remember, uh, let me put this up on the board for you. The sign of Jonah is found in Matthew 28, 8, uh, 38, excuse me, Matthew 12, 38 through 40. 
As John was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah is the death and resurrection. Let me remind you of something. Jonah was a prophet. And God told Jonah to leave Israel and to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which were the enemies of Israel, and to go to them with a message. He was a prophet from God, and he was supposed to go tell them something. And Jonah said, no, thank you. Thanks anyway, but I'm not going to do that. And so he got in a boat, and he went, and then things went real bad, and so they threw him overboard. And as he was drowning, a fish swallowed him. And most people think that the fish was a bad thing. But if you read Jonah chapter 2, Jonah's chapter 2 is thanking God for the fish because when the fish swallowed him, he was drowning, and the fish saved his life. And in Jonah chapter 2, he is thanking God for the fish going and saving his life. While he was in that belly of the fish, he made a decision. Probably would be a good idea to go do what God said. That would, you know, probably be a good So the fish threw him up on the shore. He got up and said, okay, I'm going. I'm going. And he went. And what's so amazing is the message that he was to proclaim was not what you thought it would be. So you'd think he would go to the Ninevites and say, there's only one way of salvation, it's the God of Israel. Whoever believes in the God of Israel will have eternal life. That's not what he tells them. You read the book of Jonah, he goes to the city and says, 40 days and the whole city is flipped upside down and is destroyed. Thank you for coming. That's what he did. (laughs) That was his message. And you know what happened? They believed the message. Now, he says there's not going to be any sign given except the sign of Jonah. And then in Matthew, he explains it. As Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Like when Jonah fell in that water and he was in that fish for three days and three nights, it was like he died. And then he came back again. And Jesus says, just as Jonah was down and back, I'm going down and I'm coming back. Three day, and his final sign to the nation of Israel was his death and resurrection. And that's what he's telling them. It's powerful. It's, he gives more details in the Gospel of Matthew. But watch this. For just as Jonah, verse 30, became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Just as Jonah came and gave a message from God, and the Ninevites saw it, Jesus Christ says, I have come to that generation, to the generation that existed then, and I am a sign to them. And guess what? They're rejecting. And they do reject. And you know what they do? We're going to see it in just not very many weeks. They're going to take him. He's going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest him. They're going to hand him. They're going to beat him all to pieces. They're going to give him to the Romans. And they're going to put him on a cross and kill him. And he's going to go in the grave. And then guess how many days later? Three days and three nights. He's going to come back. That's the sign. And he's going to walk back on the earth again. But they reject him. And he's going to tell them that. Watch. Verse 31 and 32, he shows this. He says, The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. Why? Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He says, When the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, Queen of Sheba left where she lived to come up and to hear Solomon because she heard he was the wisest man in the world. And she got there and she said, You're the wisest man in the world. She said, I haven't even heard half about what's about you. You're incredible. She went and believed 
Solomon. And Jesus said, one day she will stand up in judgment of these people because she believed Solomon and somebody better than Solomon is here. That's Jesus. And then look at the next statement. He said, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They listened to what he said. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, it's a powerful statement because he looks at those people and says, one of these days you're going to be judged because you're rejecting the Messiah. See, the Queen of Sheba, she believed Solomon, and I'm greater than Solomon. And the people in Nineveh, they believe Jonah, and I'm greater than Jonah. One of these days you will be judged. The truth is, anyone who rejects Jesus Christ one day will be judged and they'll be separated from him forever. That's the sad thing, but that's the truth. Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sins, was buried, rose again after three days and three nights, and offers the gift of eternal life to all who believe. You believe, you have life. You do not believe, judgment and separation. It's that simple. Jesus said, I'm not from the devil. I'm the Messiah. If you believe, salvation. If you reject, there's judgment. What have we seen this morning? It's a hard passage. And by the way, next week's really hard. Start at verse 33. Go for 33, 34, 35, 36. You look at those verses between now and next week and see what you think about it. It's pretty powerful. What have we seen this morning? Jesus has defeated the power of the devil. He says he's the Savior. Demons can possess people. Without God, it's a terrible thing. We see that God's plan is that you hear the word and respond. And Jesus warned these Jewish people who rejected him that judgment is coming. Now, let me give you some applications. I'll go quickly through this. The first one is trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Simply put, he died and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that somebody said to you, do you think you're going to heaven? That every one of you would say, yes, I am, because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. A, I want you to understand, he has defeated the power of the devil on the cross. He conquered sin and death. B, Jesus died on the cross and rose again, paying for our sins. And C, by faith in Christ, we have eternal life. And I want you to notice those last two words, eternal life. That's life forever. You have eternal life the moment you believe in Christ. It's not some future thing, but the exact moment you trust Christ as your Savior, that moment He gives to you eternal life, and you are saved, and you are saved forever. You have an eternal relationship with Jesus. That's powerful. Second application. Understand the work of the demons. Here they go. A. Demons are fallen spirit beings who hate God and men. They do. They hate us. B. Demons seek to stop people from believing in Jesus. If they could, if, if, that's what religion is. We're going to talk about it in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about religion. Religion is man trying to do something to get to God. Satan has all the religions. Christianity is not religion. Christianity is God-pleasing God. It is God who so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. There's a big difference. You don't want religion. You want relationship with, Christ, with God through Jesus Christ. And so demons... Go ahead back to back to it. Demons seek to stop people from believing in Jesus. See... Demons seek to stop believers from growing. If they can get you into something other than this word and they get you confused, get you into entertainment, get you into anything else, that's what they want you to do. Just to focus off the word. There are so many churches that they never teach the word. 
Satan's going, that's fine. I don't care if people go because they don't get the Word. The Word is what changes your life. It's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. never comes back void, accomplishes its purpose. It is the truth and it is profitable. That's why the Word of God is the key. That's why the Bible says preach the Word in season, out of season. Many churches, most churches, do not preach the Word. And Satan doesn't care. Go all you want because you never get the truth. You've got to go back to the Word. Demons seek to stop people from growing. See, uh, de- uh, demons can possess unbelievers. I don't understand how all this works, but it's truth. You see it in the Scripture. When a person doesn't believe in Jesus, sometimes they open themselves up to demonic uh, influence and demonic possession. Sometimes that can happen. The third thing, understand the sign of Jonah. A, what is the sign? It is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jonah was in the feast, three days and three nights, son of man be in the heart of the earth, three days and three nights. Go to Matthew 12, 38 through 40, and you'll see it in a lot of details. And then B, just remember this, rejection brings judgment. All those, as he's telling that to that nation, to that generation of Jewish people, that when you reject him, the people in Nineveh believe Jonah and the queen believes Solomon, but they're not believing Jesus. And there's going to be judgment. And anyone who does not believe in Jesus... There will be judgment. and But all who believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I pray that everyone in this room is trusted in Christ. You can trust Him right where you're sitting. It's not some coming down to the front or making some public profession. It is simply believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. You can do that right where you're sitting. I pray that all of us who know Christ will seek to proclaim in this community the truth about Jesus because we're in a spiritual battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for each one that is here. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and that they know that they have eternal life. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again, gives us life forever simply by faith. Lord, may we understand the whole work of the this fallen world system and the devil and the demons and seeking to stop people from ever believing and seeking to, keeping, uh, seeking to stopping us from growing. Lord, we just want to live for you. And Lord, may we understand Jesus' final sign to the unbelief nation of Israel that he would die and rise again. Lord, thank you that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.